0: i Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech Show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Starting a technology company and leading product development is a process that is constantly evolving. Christine Spang, CTO of Nihilus, explained various stages of leading a tech company. We talked about developing software in areas like email, finding initial clients, and evaluating the product. Christine also talked about the importance of wellness and gave advice on things that she does that have allowed her to focus and succeed in a digital world. Before we continue with the interview, I wanted to tell you that I launched a new podcast. It's called The 5-Minute Mentor. In this podcast, you'll hear advice from prominent engineers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and more in five minutes or less. Check it out by going to mentors.fm or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching 5-Minute Mentor. Check it out on mentors.fm. Thank you. Christine Spang, founder and CTO of Nihilus is joining us today. Christine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adina.
1: It's good to be here.
0: Good to have you. And we're going to talk today about several topics. Some of them are, you know, about your introduction to technology, NILAS and what you're doing here, and also about wellness. I want to begin first with some of your background. I was reading about it and I saw that you were contributing to open source projects since you were 15 years old. Can you talk about what you were doing at that time?
1: Yeah, I really got into it through, originally through gaming. I guess I started out by finding like old free games on the internet that you could download and play. And usually they were not open source games in the beginning, but somehow through a chain of uh, these random old kind of abandonware games, I ended up getting into these kinds of online multiplayer games that were text-based called MUDs or multi-user dungeons. And I tend to like get really into things when I get excited about them. So I started playing this one MUD that was based on, it had like a Lord of the Rings theme, and I played it so much that the people who were running it were like, hey, you should help us run it. And so I started helping run it, which meant like it was very role-playing centered. So I had to help kind of create plots and build rooms and things and kind of new objects and parts of the game. And through that, I found out that if you wanted to actually be able to make deep, Kind of different changes to the game world you had to learn how to program because that could actually change the actual capabilities of the world itself so because of that i started teaching myself c uh, when i was in high school and the game also its engine only ran on Linux. so i had my brother help me install linux on the family computer and it was kind of a rabbit hole that kept going from there where like I started using this flavor of Linux called Debian and I got curious about how it was made and it turns out it was made by all of these like volunteer developers around the world and it's all open source. So that's how I got into open source. So through this game, I got to Debian and then I started actually contributing to Debian while I was in high school. And, and that's basically how I decided that I wanted to be a software engineer.
0: So it started with you playing this, you mentioned they are text-based games. Can you explain a bit what that is?
1: Yeah, so basically there's a game world that's entirely defined as uh, descriptions, so typically you join the world, then you end up in a room, and it says like, um, you know, a dark forest, and then a, a few sentences that describe more about kind of where you are, and then there's typically directions where you can move, so you can go like north or west or east or south, and through that kind of base building block, you essentially like, define a map of the world, and you could draw Drawn out in terms of like squares um, and, and in this game there's like cities and you could go out into the wilderness and you get attacked by orcs and there's like different cities that you could go between in different areas and then there's there could be objects on the ground and there's commands that you can like pick things up and interact and talk to people mm-hmm. and then there's other players in the world so You know, it would not be just be you who's connected to this game server, but there might be, you know, 50 other people logged in and playing at any given time. So you could actually run into other people uh, in the world and interact with them.
0: Okay. Do you still play some of these games?
1: I don't play any games at all anymore, and I haven't since I started this company.
0: Okay. And we'll get to talk about the company in a bit. One more thing I wanted to talk about here related to working with open source and Debian and Linux is that you mentioned this diversity outreach group called Debian Women. Mm. Can you talk about you know how they helped you? Or-
1: yeah, so when I was getting curious about Debian, I found this essentially like aggregator of blogs that uh, were written by contributors to Debian, and this is software called Planet that people use to do this. It basically takes the feeds from all these blogs and multiplexes them into one that you can read on uh, a website. And so I subscribed to this aggregator, and um, one of the contributors to Debian wrote about uh, this women's outreach group called Debian Women on her blog, and that's how I ended up joining their IRC channel. And I would say that was crucial for me to actually picture myself as one of those contributors because and i just didn't make the connection before and that post made it really obvious to me it's like oh they they want people like me to help and it just like made it so obvious that it was a no-brainer for me to get on the channel and start talking to people and it was uh, very approachable
0: but at the time you didn't realize this is more now looking back oh yeah that women's group held me you know on board
1: yeah it's definitely a hindsight thing i don't really remember what i thought about it at the time i thought it was really cool i thought the people on it were really cool yeah so i don't think it was so much like this is gonna take me to my next career or something like that yeah
0: definitely let's talk a bit about nihilus which is a company you co-founded and it's building products in areas like email and contacts and more things can you explain in more detail what nihilus is is Yeah.
1: So analysis is essentially, it's an API platform that makes it really easy to build other software products that integrate with email, context, and calendar. So essentially kind of what that means is that if you're trying to build, you know, some sort of like a common use case that people use for a platform is building things like CRMs or kind of workflows on top of email that You know, some person out there needs to be more productive, essentially. Like, a lot of things people have built are things like sales automation tools or, like, hiring tools, uh, CRMs for every different industry out there, the ways to kind of bring calendar into embedded devices, like cars or, you know, like, devices that you can put on your wall to show your calendar and let you interact with it. We, you know, email's really old. It's been around since even before the World Wide Web, so, like, 50 years at this point, and... And you know, we found when starting the company that people has tried to build things that were working with email, including my co-founder, it just spent so much time even getting to the point where you could display data that it was pretty obvious from that why people weren't building a lot of new things that worked with email just because the lift of things that seemed really basic was not meeting the developer experience that modern developers expect. And that meant you had to learn a lot of different things in order to, to work with email. And it just took a lot more time. So yeah, you know, if if it's going to take that much time to, to do the basic things, then you're not going to get to actually building things that are new and innovative.
0: What do you mean by the basic things? Like what are the things that can take bottlenecks and you wouldn't expect.
1: With email, a big one is kind of like how you encode text and how you display it and even how you include attachments. Email started when computers were really simple and you only had uh, the ASCII codex, so like alphanumeric, uh, no accents, nothing, and essentially like the way to display other characters had to get bolted onto the protocol afterwards. So one of the things that seems super simple and maybe really obvious in hindsight that, that Nihilus does is it takes all of this text and normalizes it to give modern developers UTF-8 text every time that you don't have to think about like how it was encoded and you can just treat it like text and expect it to work.
0: I see. And can you talk about the early days, what the main product was?
1: Yeah, so in the beginning, our longer term goal was to build an email client for power users, and we actually built the APIs as a stepping stone in order to get there. So we wanted to first abstract away all this complexity of dealing with email and just give ourselves the API that we wanted in the first place to build things on top of it. And kind of what we found as a part of building this, so we did end up building this email client, but we learned a lot about business in the meanwhile, in the process of selling both the API platform and also trying to make a business out of the email client. We just found that the email client was a really bad business and the API platform was a really great business. So we stopped building the email client and decided to focus 100% on the API platform.
0: And in the early days, how were you finding your customers or clients?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're small, it's all doing things that don't scale. So like we... Probably the way that we got the word out the most in the beginning was through releasing a lot of the early code as open source. So we we built our first version of our kind of IMAP connector that would let you hook data from any email account that supported IMAP into our system, and we released that as open source. so You could run it uh, on your own server, and uh, we did a big press push around that to get the word out about you know what we were doing in terms of improving the email developer experience, and I really think. That was key to kind of reaching the first people that took the leap to build on the platform. It was the second thing that we did to actually build uh, the hosted API platform, which we launched about five or six months after putting out the initial open source release. And we essentially like worked really hands on with the first few initial uh, developers that were building their products on top of us. And you know we got on calls. Um, we didn't charge like hardly anything at first. I think the first check we ever got was like $50 or something like that. And just kind of looking back at our revenue numbers all the way back to the beginning, we're like, wow. Yeah. That seems so exciting at the time, but yeah. you can't build a business on a $50 check.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we talked a bit about this earlier, where you have various products and then you decide to focus on something else. And I've heard this in other companies. I think Slack started you know, in the gaming space and they build the internal chat and it ended up being yeah. their product. Throughout this process, what are some of the things that help you evaluate and decide what efforts to double down on versus what
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for us, it really came down to the business metrics we were seeing. Okay. The biggest, probably the biggest one is you know, this thing called churn. It's basically how many of your customers stick around over time. And a sign that a product is really not working is if a lot of users uh, sign up and start using it and then they disappear really quickly. With the email client that we built, we are seeing more than 80% churn each month. So we reached a really large audience of kind of email early adopters, people who just really like trying out new things that have to do with email. But we weren't really able to convert them into paying users. And I think there's a number of different reasons for that. Mm-hmm. One is you're competing with free because all of the major email clients out there are essentially subsidized by companies who have other business, you know, for with Google, it's, it's, ads uh, with Microsoft. It's like they, they have these office products and email is just kind of one thing that feeds into there. And same with most of the other companies out there that are, that are giving email. So there's a high bar for what the minimum feature set is. And most people expect that feature set for free. So you have to kind of go above and beyond that in order to get people to stick around.
0: Yes, definitely. And now I want to talk more about a talk that you gave, around wellness and the talk was called switching off to switch on how to thrive and succeed in a digital world and in this talk you presented three pillars of wellness the the office the offline weekend sleep hygiene and meet week focus tools i want to talk about these pillars can you first explain the first one which is the offline weekend
1: yeah so i've been running this company for almost six years it'll be six years in august and I don't think I would have made it this far if I hadn't really, really figured out how to kind of work in a marathon pace rather than a kind of a sprint pace. And to me, one of the things that I've discovered that has been really helpful for kind of recharging is unplugging from my digital life on a pretty regular basis so like you know a lot of the time like i'm on slack i'm on email i'm getting messages all the time i'm multitasking i'm dealing with a hundred different things during the week and i find that it makes me arrive at work on monday kind of with a clear head and feeling refreshed if I focus on going outside and just turning off my phone on the weekend. Um, and the way that I've found that works really well for me is to to go rock climbing, ideally somewhere that doesn't have cell service. So then even if I do turn on my phone, like it just doesn't work. Yeah. But there are obviously like less extreme ways to accomplish the same thing. And um, in this talk, I encourage folks to even just pick, you know, a couple hours on a weekend where you leave your phone at home or you put it in airplane mode. And I think that if you're operating all the time, in this mode that's like super distracted, you actually are kind of ingraining patterns in your brain of just like being distracted. And it's hard to switch back into a focus mode. And um, you can kind of retrain your brain to kind of be calm and focused by kind of putting in these blocks of time where you choose to to not be distracted and even let yourself be like a little bit bored sometimes.
0: Yeah. Did you find it difficult at the beginning to go offline or did you sort of just do it like the whole day or was it gradual?
1: I think it's kind of dependent on what's going on around me. I think it's it's harder to do it if you're feeling like you can't get away. And so like giving that permission to yourself of like, hey, this is going to be for the better in the long run. Just like getting over that kind of emotional hump, I think is really important. And for me, it was like also a big deal to just like find something that was so kind of arresting that you just like don't think about the other thing that you're not doing.
0: Yeah, like rock climbing. Right, is the one. Yeah,
1: for me that's been really helpful.
0: Yeah, had you done that before, or was it sort of after you started Nihilus?
1: Yeah, I started doing it actually. Kind of the while I was at my previous company before Nihilus, and and got pretty into it there. And actually, I would say I scaled back a little bit when I started the company because you know it's when you start a company, it's got to be the number one thing in your life.
0: What did that mean to you at the time that it was gonna be the number one thing? What were some of the things that you had to... I mean,
1: it's basically like when it comes down to like planning and prioritization, if you're not like putting the company as number one, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Okay. And for me, I feel like I can really say that I'm doing that, even if I have other things that are important to me, as long as like, you know, I had some like travel plans and ended up having a scheduling conflict with our board meeting. And, you know, obviously like in that case, it's like, okay, I need to change my travel plans because I need to go to this board meeting. Yeah but you can still kind of set boundaries and like structure your life in a way that makes it clear that you need these other things to kind of keep going. So I would say that the, the other things that I work on are for support. They're to make me more effective. And you know, it's, it's still the case that I'm doing a lot of these things. I have a focus on kind of performance and productivity because I want the company to be successful.
0: Yes. Let's talk about the second pillar, which is sleep hygiene. Can you give some context around this?
1: Yeah. When I was in college, I learned a big lesson the first year where I... You know, some people gain 15 pounds in their first year of college. I didn't, but I did experiment with like, you know, staying up all night because there's lots of fun things to do in college. And I feel like I learned a pretty hard lesson that, yeah, you know, your performance uh, plummets pretty rapidly if you don't sleep um, and there's a small subset of people who can do the like four or five hours a night thing every night for a long time but uh, chances are you're probably not one of those people and most people need you know seven to eight hours a night regularly and if you don't get that especially for a couple of days in a row it's it's basically like being drunk all the time and there's a lot of research that supports this so yeah you know, I I read a bunch about kind of the relevant science and started really prioritizing getting enough sleep and also as a part of this i discovered that i was a morning person and just like realizing that i like i get really grumpy if i stay up too late at night and kind of giving my permission to just like be a morning person and be in bed by 10 and get up at you know 6 30 every day yeah uh has done wonders for just like figuring out how to kind of keep my my marathon pace going for a long amount of time and and kind of being happy about it so i i at this point i really prioritize sleep and i also like you know kind of do all the little life hacks to make make it really good quality sleep because it's not just about the amount of time you're in bed and you want to actually be asleep um so i you know i you know Try not to be working like at least an hour or so before bed because if you are doing really kind of high energy things or like stressful things, um, it's hard to wind down and actually go to sleep. So you kind of have to build a ritual in or like a routine to to kind of turn off your brain and uh, get away from like digital devices because there's like scientific reasons for why they disrupt your sleep. They emit blue light that disrupts your actual, this hormone called melatonin, which is what allows you to actually fall asleep, and I also stopped both drinking and consuming caffeine on a regular basis. I was really into green tea before, but I just found that like it's a, it was a, I'm pretty sensitive, and is a kind of a vicious cycle for me. Of you know, if you have a lot of caffeine, then I can't fall asleep, and then I feel more tired the next day.
0: And you take more caffeine. Cause yeah, you're tired. I
1: think a lot of people have this with coffee, but I'm actually so sensitive that I was never able to get into coffee drinking because it just like made me so jittery that like i couldn't you can't focus. handle it so i had like the slightly less intense version where i was drinking t- caffeinated tea and i stopped and i also found that like drinking alcohol typically you're doing it in the evening and it can help you fall asleep faster but As your body processes the alcohol, it really makes you wake up a few hours later.
0: Mm -hmm. The quality of sleep is not as good. Yeah,
1: so it negatively affects the quality of your sleep. And to me, it's just like with like work hard, play hard, do all these other random like things a lot of humans do for entertainment. Mm -hmm. I just had to cut out all those because it was not a priority.
0: Yeah, at least it sounds like you were constantly observing yourself and seeing what worked and what didn't, and then you came up with a, a plan.
1: Yeah, I feel like I I both got lucky to have kind of pretty good natural feedback, but also kind of got into like meditation and yeah. kind of like learning to observe myself, even as far back as college. So I had this basis of tuning into that feedback. And I think a lot of folks really need to start there. It's like I've talked to a lot of people where they're like, well, you know, caffeine doesn't keep me up. You're like, well, maybe you should get a sleep tracker and see.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, how well you're sleeping. Yeah. The last one is the midweek focus tools. And these are tools, again, related to internet addiction and apps that can be addictive. Can you explain what your midweek focus tools consist of?
1: Yeah, let's see if I can remember them all. I think a lot of it is kind of like dealing with the fact that one of the pernicious things about how kind of the internet has developed is that, you know, we're we're all like metrics driven. And like one of the metrics that we've been optimizing all these apps for is like literally how much time people spend paying attention to it, which uh, it means that they're kind of taking advantage of like your hardwired kind of like do- Dopamine responses. So you know the fact that I like want to check Twitter like every hour is has been uh, kind of engineered to be that way, and it really cool. It's really useful, but. It's, a, it's not great if like you know every time you're like trying to spend an hour working on something every 10 minutes you're like i really wonder what's happening on twitter so i think one thing that's really important is to you know use the digital wellness tools that are built into your phone at this point like we've kind of gone through this full circle where like you know people built mobile phones and then we built all these apps and we optimized them for engagement and then people were like holy shit i can't do anything because i'm just like constantly being interrupted yeah and now we're kind of like pulling back a bit and uh, you know all the people who've made this have realized that going all the way is not great and are trying to give more power to folks to limit and kind of track how their digital usage is affecting their well-being so one thing i do is like turn off the notifications for every single app that is basically not my calendar or text messages or the phone because there's almost nothing that needs to be synchronously interrupted me for that's not one of those things it's like do i need to be somewhere does someone need to like send me a personal message and other than that like send me an email like i don't want to see it on a push notification on my phone
0: i think what i also think about that is once you're aware of that and you turn off the notifications for yourself, one thing that I do now is I'm more thoughtful of like, uh, why am I sending this as a direct message? It could just be an email that they can see later. I'm very mindful of not interrupting, you know, co-workers for little things. that
1: Yeah, one thing when you're growing a company is with Slack, uh, kind of cracking down on people using the like channel notifications. It drives me crazy. Yeah. When it's like, ah, could that have just been a message? Could that have been an email?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Most of the times I found, yes, that whatever I'm trying to send is. Yeah.
1: It kind of turns into this like, well, but I was trying to make the point that this is important, but um, it gets conflated with the kind of immediacy. I think that's definitely one of the downsides
0: of Slack before we finish i want to talk a bit about leadership and growing a company and keeping in mind uh, having the company be inclusive and diverse and one thing i was reading about nihilus is that there are a set of values that are reinforced sometimes explicitly but other times you know on a regular basis can you talk a bit about this about values and growing a company
1: I think it's pretty important when you're starting a company to write down your values pretty soon. Like... You know, as soon as you're like half a dozen people, every person that you bring onto the team needs to kind of know what's important to you. And at this point now, this is 50 people. And we have a set of values that we've written about in our handbook and we published. And it's not something that's like completely unchanging. We've actually made tweaks, you know, every six months or a year for the past couple of years. And I think that's natural and healthy. But when it comes to like d that's one thing that, We haven't really changed at all since the beginning. And I think that kind of writing it down and publishing it and also like working it into our hiring process and making sure to kind of screen folks and ask questions that show that they're aligned with that value has been really important for us kind of maintaining the cohesiveness of everyone thinking that that is important because there's a lot of people out there that, that don't care or would rather not spend the time on it. Yeah. And you know, if you're building a company, you need people to buy into like, this is a thing worth spending the time on because that's literally what a value is. It's like, we value this, we put time into it, we put money into it. And I think it's easy to lose sight of if you're not doing that. So because at the end of the day like a company is is an organization that is designed to turn money into more money yeah and so you have to have things that are underpinning that and you have to Kind of be explicit about it and keep repeating it because otherwise you just end up focusing on the money part, which is also important for like being a sustainable organization and the world as it's organized today. But, you know, I don't want to work on things that are just about turning money into more money. And, you know, we can create these organizations and they can be better and more effective organizations if, you know, there are, you know, values that we look at that are kind of underpinning the the whole kind of mission in terms of like what product we're building, what value is that bringing to the world.
0: Exactly. Well, Spang, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. It's been great learning more about your work and Nihilus and wellness.
1: For sure. And thanks for inviting me. It's been fantastic. <music>